it definitely is a massive difference in the in the coffee intake from the purity of the French press. You're right. Welcome to the Manny Podcast. Hello. Episode 44. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the purity of the French press. Yeah, it's true. And we're also talking about chapter 5 of the Divine Conspiracy. Also in the rightness of the, the kingdom heart. Hmm. Beyond the goodness of scribes and Pharisees. And it's so good that we're just not gonna we're not gonna try to do any any Cliff Notes version here. No, no Cliff so Notes. We're gonna go through it. You guys be content with the with us just going pretty much Taking sentence time. by sentence. <laughs> it's gonna be good enough, so yeah. make sure you stick with us. We love you. Peace out. So we're uh, not joking at all, and not that we're going line by line. Like we'll actually just start with the scripture quotations and the quotations yeah. from Lewis. Well, chapter five is a big one, folks. It's a big one. Hell, they're all big ones. Let's call it what it is. But well, five's a big one. No tree produces bad fruit, mm-hmm. nor any bad tree good fruit. Mm-hmm. The good person from the good treasured up in his heart produces what is good. Luke chapter six. 43, 45. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. Jesus as the master of moral understanding. When Jesus deals with moral evil and goodness, he does not begin by theorizing. He plunges immediately into the guts of human existence, raging anger, contempt, hatred, obsessive lust, divorce, verbal manipulation, revenge, slapping, suing, cursing, coercing, and begging. It is the stuff of soap operas and the daily news and real life. Mm. I was thinking about this. Mm -hmm. Well, hell, it's hard not to think about it every day. But it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff today. Like over and over. And well, man, I mean, we're we're gonna get into for like maybe five or six podcasts from now into anger and contempt, and it's yeah. like, man, dude. And they're big ones, man. Well, dude, it's really is. It's really still like a. If there's a true pandemic in our world, it's one of anger and contempt. Hundred percent. A bunch of people hate each other. That is all that is happening. Like that's all you're seeing. You know. <sighs> like hate each other. Yep. And where did, like, people, where does that come from? If you're going to blame that on circumstances, or you're going to blame that on your childhood, or you're going to blame that on the government, or you're going to blame that on Donald Trump, like, here's the, here's, we're going to go ahead and save you from a lot of misinformation. Yeah, misinformation. It's not, your circumstances did not produce the anger that's inside of you. The anger that's inside of you is there because it's always been there. It's always been there. These things are just things that are, that have turned the light switch on in your heart and turned the light switch on in your character. It's just simply showing you what's there. Mm-hmm. Here's the contents of who you are. Yep. You're an angry person who has contempt towards other people. And what are you going to do about it? Yep. You know, you're a lustful person who, who 
it has a dumpster fire going on sexually, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you verbally manipulate other people. You want revenge. You have been divorced seven or eight times. Like, what, what are you going to do about this stuff? And this is what Jesus is addressing and getting beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Like, what does a kingdom heart look like? Yep. And how do you get a kingdom heart? And that's all that's important for our day. Yep. And that's why we just, you know, we want to keep doing these things, man, because it's, it's, it truly is. Like, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the, his teaching and his, what he has to offer is the only thing that Greatest stuff ever, anybody, ever should, anybody should be wanting to receive, you know. And that's the thing, what Willard goes on to write. He takes this concrete approach because his aim is to enable people to be good, not just talk about it. And Jesus actually knows how to enable people to be good, and he brings his knowledge to bear upon life as it really is, not some intellectualized and sanctified version thereof. That's a big one. He knows that people deeply hunger to be good, but cannot find their way. No one wishes to do evil for its own sake. We just find it unfortunately necessary. We want to be good, but are ready to do evil. And we come prepared with lengthy justifications. Yep. I mean, those two paragraphs nail pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Having illustrated concretely in situations of grimy realism in Matthew 5, 20 through 44, what it is like to be a really good person, one who has found the kingdom and is, a living, and is living in its ways, Jesus then proceeds in the immediately following verses to give his overall picture of moral fulfillment and beauty in the kingdom of the heavens. It is one of heartfelt love toward all, including those who would be happy if we dropped dead. This love does not consist of acts and projects, but is a pervasive condition of vision, joy, and love in which we habitually reside. It is a love of the same quality as God's love. We are to be perfect or whole as our Father, the one in the heavens, is perfect and whole. Hmm. Hmm. This love does not consist of acts and projects, but is a pervasive condition of vision, joy, and love in which we habitually reside. Again... Jesus is not giving us, he's not giving humanity, he's not giving the nations goals to attain. Nope. He is simply inviting each one of us to participate in a reality. And that reality is his kingdom, and his kingdom is available. And it is possible to be the kind of person who has heart for, heartfelt love towards all, including those who would be happy if we dropped dead. In other words, your enemies, the people who really, really would not, like who have anger and contempt towards you. Jesus is saying that's the goal. The, 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 well, that's the reality in which we are to walk in, is a reality of heartfelt love towards all. Yeah. Even those who hate us. Yeah. And he's not giving us a bunch of projects or acts. I mean, I used to, I probably would have described Christianity 
at one point in my life as, as a bunch of projects. You know, like yeah. we're supposed to go out and, you know, start soup kitchens and orphanages and, and call that a soup kitchen. Right. And, and do all sorts of things, you know, come up with all sorts of projects, go on missionary trips and yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that's what Christianity is. Yeah. And it was never, I could have done all that with all sorts of anger and contempt in my heart towards people. Yeah. I mean, it's possible to go do a whole bunch of quote unquote good things and yet still have not the rightness of the kingdom heart. 100%. And that's what he's bringing out, man. We got to get beyond, got to get beyond the outward acts of religion. Yes. And we got to get down deep into the soul, into the heart work. Yes. We are to be perfect or whole as our Father, the one in the heavens, is perfect and whole. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that goes to this love does not consist of acts and projects, but is a pervasive condition of vision, joy, and love in which we habitually reside. Reside. It's a reality that we are participating it's, in. It's like we've said before with a lot of things, right? You fall, like you don't rise to occasions. You fall to the level of your training. And honestly, that is the whole point. If you are not a, if you're not becoming a person who loves in the way that you live your life, in the way you interact, react, think, speak, things like that, yes, then you are not going to rise to the occasion when it's time to actually love somebody in, instead of curse somebody. You're not going to choose love in that specific scenario. For one, because it's not who you're becoming. Yes. And so therefore, like you fall to the level of your training, you don't rise to those occasions. You don't rise to just being a loving person all of a sudden. Yeah. Like this is a transforming life in which you become loving and you become more and more loving on a daily basis, right? Like it's the internal shift. It is not, it's not a switch you flip. And no, I, it's I not think, a goal to attain. I, I think that's gonna be that's gonna be a really big deal in chapter five. Like yeah. You can't earn it. Yep. You, you can't go to seminary and for you can't, it. You can't buy enough stuff for people, you can't open nope. enough doors, you can't do those things. I mean, those are all products of being a loving person. Sometimes. Maybe. Sometimes. Um, and then sometimes they're not. But even then, those things come by the default of who you're becoming as a better transforming person. Yes. They're not, hey, I got my list today. Got to mark this deal off. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, you know. and, but I mean, are you not at that point describing what most people would, mm -hmm. de what most people would what describe Most people walking around us. Or whatever. 100%. It, name any, honest to God, any religion. Any, you know, you've got Islam. Yes. They have the, the pillars. They yep. have to do it every day. Yep. If they don't, they're not yep. achieving. It's, it's about achievement yep. versus participation in reality mm -hmm. 100%. we cannot hammer that home enough like jesus is not teaching us about achievement sure he's not setting a standard higher yep he's simply pointing out what's really going on what is really going on yes. and that's this is this is not moral theory no he, he roots it concretely in the daily life of everybody around him and that's what he goes on to do yeah um sorry we can get back to no, I mean it's good. It's got to keep 
got to keep parsing that stuff out, man, because well, it's such a, it's got such a strong, it's so strong, you know. That. Well, and I feel like it's, it would be super easy for everybody to not. I mean, we, it's not. I don't think we've been unclear, or Willard's unclear here. I think that if you've heard up to this point all of the different podcasts leading up, like you should be following pretty well. Yeah. But we're going to keep saying it because all I see around me all the time in my society is a bunch of people who are who are serving gospels of sin management. Yep. And who believe, if they believe in Jesus at all, that he's super far away in some other realm and all he's doing is cheering us on as we're getting our, our butts kicked. Yep. Saying you're you're gonna get there, guys. Yep, you're gonna get there. But he's super hands off, and he has no power, no authority, and he just had a bunch of real, real nice things to say. Yeah, but that's not true. Nope, it's not who he is. And yeah, I think in the next segment we'll get into more of what he has to say. How about it? I like it. So, what Jesus had to say about human good and evil was of sufficient depth, power, and justification to dominate European culture and its offshoots for two millennia. Nobody even has an idea of what Europe and the Western world would mean apart from Jesus and his words. The historian of morals, W.E.H. Lecky, describes the teachings of Jesus as an agency which all men must now admit to have been, for good or evil, the most powerful moral lever that has ever been applied to the affairs of men. A contemporary historian, Michael Grant, comments the most potent figure, not only in the history of religion, but in world history as a whole, is Jesus Christ, the maker of one of the few revolutions which have lasted. Millions of men and women for century after century have found his life and teaching overwhelmingly significant and moving. And there is ample reason in the this later 20th century, why this should be so. Frederick Nietzsche is usually thought of as a bitter opponent of Jesus, but he clearly saw his indispensable role in the civilization into which Nietzsche himself had been born. He also understood that the modern world had moved off of its foundations in the Christian traditions of moral goodness, and that cataclysmic changes were to come because of this. They have come, and they are coming. Man, Dude, yep. it's like, it's so abundantly clear how, you know, dude, it's weird, man. It's like, it's like social media was the, the avenue in which the things that a lot of dudes, Christian and Uncr, I mean, like Nietzsche and all these, like Willard's talking about, it was the medium or the avenue in which the stuff that these guys like thought through and said were going to happen has has made possible to happen. It's true. Um, it's like I it's and it's an interesting thing. I don't think we're going to get off topic if we talk about this because because I mean what we're talking about essentially here and what Willard's trying to point out is that. Jesus and his teachings, historically speaking, were not just some like fly by night stuff. Sure. 
like essentially the foundation of Western civilization Yeah. for a very, very long time. And like we talked about in previous chapters, chapter one, just a little bit why it's a little dense and hard to follow if you're just reading along is because he's trying to historically lay out this, the fact that the teachings of Jesus himself have been directly attacked yes. by institutions of higher learning, by, you know, by, by people who see the world in a different way and want to try to remove all of his teachings and the teachings of the church or, or God in general mm-hmm. from, from the public square, from the institutions of higher learning. And what that's, and a lot of people actually, I mean, I don't think the word prophesy is too strong of a word. Actually prophesied of what a society was, would eventually look like if that transformation took place. Yeah. And we are currently going through a lot of what dudes before us said were possibly going to happen. And I thought about this yesterday is like, what's funny or what's intriguing to me is that it seems like this like mass way of communicating and like quote unquote connecting Mm -hmm. um, was like the mechanism in which like the galvanization of people into groups yes, to where you legitimately have groups of people who are connecting in ways that they weren't previously able to. And that's what's like causing them to feel like they have some sort of platform or stability or voice or like, Hey, there's enough of us that, think the same way that we can move forward and like if you read any of c.s lewis's fiction it's amazing terrell like you're not even going to believe this but we talk about the space trilogy all the time um and especially that hideous strength the last one and now they you know, he he proposes and like writes a story about how how these this group of people of experts of scientists of like you, of technocrats hatch a plan to take over and and they get rid of the police. And they form their own police force. So true. And they riot. And mm-hmm. they stage riots. And control the media. They, they control the newspapers News. yep. and the media. And they are they 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 see all of this as some as as the rehabilitation of the world. And that is people are there, I, there was a dude, seriously, yeah. I saw this the other day. They were reporting on it. There was, a, there was somebody who actually said, again, like, we're going to get to why this is happening. This is happening because people haven't dealt with the anger and the contempt and the yep. things inside their hearts. I don't want to get too far off track here, but, like, because they haven't, take, they haven't just listened to Jesus. Sure. That's the issue. Yeah. This is manifesting itself in these ways. 
But this dude that used to be like the labor secretary for President Obama tweeted out that something to the effect, I'm going to paraphrase here, you can probably go find it if you want to, something effect of when this nightmare is finally over, and, he, and by nightmare he meant President Trump being the president. Sure, sure. It's a little dramatic. A little drama, yeah. Um, anyway, but I mean, that's what he feels. Mm-hmm. When this and, nightmare and feeling is the reality, oh God! Right? When this nightmare is finally over, <laughs> mm-hmm. we need to we. I wonder who we mm-hmm. are. Yeah, solid question. Uh, sounds like somebody from the NICE. Sounds like NICE says we should start a truth and reconciliation commission. Jesus, where and we like essentially arrest all of the people oh, who who like who voted for and were a part of the Trump administration and rehabilitate them. Interesting. He said that, huh? Freaking tweeted that out. Now, again, this is what happens. You can only say crap like that and believe it. Like, the dude sincerely, wholeheartedly believes that his idea is helpful Mm. and not evil. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that that the little buddy who tweeted that out, unfortunately, has he's living apart from Jesus. That's the problem. Yep. And and we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, like Paul would say. And that guy, unfortunately, is. I mean, let's just—he's completely. Yep. He's completely being run and enslaved to the evil spirits, Mm -hmm. the evil powers that are out there. And that's what really is happening. And, but it's manifesting itself in our society in these ways. For sure. And I just want everybody to know, like, there are people who have lived before you who actually, like, wrote down and foresaw how this would play out. And they're pretty damn spot on so you got to ask yourself like and 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 lewis would say he was just that hideous strength was a a narrative story fiction form of his book the abolition of man which is also worth reading if you haven't read it we might have to possibly podcast through that at some point because it's very relevant yeah but like this is what happens when you when you just when you don't when you don't surrender and give yourself to Jesus, man. Yeah. And he's it. And that's it. But it's just, dude, it's it's happening all around us, man. And um and it's just a it's an interesting thing. Yes. It's an interesting thing. I went on for way too long there. No, it's about that. But I just think it's interesting. It's super relevant. Super relevant. Let's see uh um Yeah, we can finish that little chapter. For for over 200 years now yeah. in the Western world, and this is where it kind of continues, those advanced thinkers, quote-unquote, referred to by Bishop Butler in our previous chapter, have tried to make secularized human nature and intellect, yes. free of any dependence upon Jesus and his teachings, serve as the basis for moral understanding and practice. Um, leading figures who still thought of themselves as profoundly Christian, such as Immanuel Kant, 
uh, or Kant, however you say that, and G.F.W. Hegel played a major role in this effort. They developed a version of Christianity that, ironically, did not even require Jesus to have existed. They seriously took this to be an advantage for their works. We know those guys. What Jesus taught was said by them to be contained in human rationality as such. Mm. Today, it is more <laughs> likely to be said that it is contained in the human quest. quest for meaning or wholeness. Moral understanding can allegedly be established by careful human thought and experienced apart from any historical tradition. But the centuries-long attempt to devise a morality from within merely human resources has now been proven itself a failure. We shall have more to say on this point at the close of this chapter. Yeah, no, that's... Well, in this segment there, yeah. but like... Jesus wasn't reaching deep within no. his humanity he was not. <laughs> to find some... Okay, we're not on some quest for moral goodness here. No, we're not. We're not, and we, that's not what's happening. And you can't lump him in there as 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 just another really good teacher. Coming up with these ideas. Again, man, like, you can't rationalize it away, and we're not going to do that on this podcast at all. Nope. And uh, we're going to move on, but anyway, that's... That's really rich and good. You need to, you need yeah. to think about that. Yep. As Paul stick as, with us. As Paul would have said, the secret that has now become public. In whom no. contains all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. True. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yep. We're back. We're back. So. I think it's probably worth quickly touching on the fact that at this point Willard goes sort of goes back to important things about what we think about Jesus. Yeah. Um, we've said enough about that, I think, to to have to spend just a a big amount of time on it. But I mean, there are there are some misunderstandings. And we've really tried to clear that up last chapter, and yeah. he does for the most part. Yeah. Um, but like you, you have to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven, as like one, one continuous discourse. It's not a bunch of separate ideas. It's yeah. not. You can't take them and piece them apart, and try to analyze them in that in that sense. And that's exactly what we're not going to do as we move forward with what Jesus taught. But. Um, he wasn't he wasn't preaching a sermon that day uh, so it's 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 more of like Willard tries to talk about it. it's more of like a talk or like a lecture almost sure. you know about reality itself yeah. <laughs> like that's what he's doing that day and yes. uh, it's uh, he points that out um, that's crucial for correct understanding of what he is saying Let's see. We've already talked about a bunch of that stuff, so. Yeah.
Yeah, when taken is the the problem if you if you try to take it as independent sayings, um, what'll end up happening is that you'll 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 regard them as laws dictating what we are to do and what not to do. Like you said last chapter, it'll create some sort of new legalism, and that's not what that's not how you should do it. That's the problem if you do it that way. Yeah. Uh, they will then be seen to prescribe impossibilities and in some cases to be simply ridiculous. Yeah. For example, the comment on cutting off your hands or punching out your eyes, Matthew 5, 29-30, is most often presented as a serious recommendation from Jesus, though not one to be taken literally. As we shall see later, he was in fact teaching precisely the futility of any such actions. That would make, they would make no difference because true rightness remains a matter of one's heart. Why then is it important that we understand Matthew 5-7 through 7 as one talk or sermon? It is important because, unless we understand it as one discourse, purposefully organized by its highly competent speaker, its parts, the particular statements made, will be left at the mercy of whatever whims may strike readers as they contemplate each pearl of wisdom. Mm. Their meaning cannot then be governed by the whole of the discourse, by the unity of the discourse as a whole, and this is for what for the most part, exactly what happens today. Yeah. The most constant whim historically has been the disastrous idea just mentioned, that Jesus is here giving laws. For if that is what he is doing, they will certainly be laws that are impossible to keep. The keeping of law turns out to be an inherently self-refuting aim. Rather, the inner self must be changed. Trying merely to keep the law is not wholly unlike trying to make an apple tree bear peaches by tying peaches to its branches. Mm. Yes, impossible. One standard reaction now has it. That's what they are, but therefore all the more suited to thoroughly crush human hopes than were the laws of Moses, forcing us to turn to grace for forgiveness. Jesus is presented as a more relentless and, me and meaner than Moses, and we have all been subjected to so much well-intentioned meanness that we are prepared to believe it. The holier, the harder we think, mm. and we could be hardly more wrong. So, that's it. Like, you can't... It's one discourse, and he's not. If you take it in pieces and parts, you're gonna you're gonna approach Jesus's teaching here as creating more laws for life that are impossible to achieve. Um, you're gonna make Christianity into percentages game and attainments and goals and things like that, and you're not gonna enter into the reality of the kingdom. Hundred percent. That's the problem. Well, quick rant, like, and we can do that because it's our podcast, but the, you know, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, Phil, that, you know, the majority of kind of the issues, quote-unquote, with, you know, your most, most of the Christendom of the day, you know, is just that, just because, I mean, how much, because how much can you do that with Jesus and how much can you do that with Paul? Dude, if you take if you take pieces and parts yep. and you don't take them as a whole, you're going to come up with all sorts of weird stuff and you're going to do all sorts of weird stuff. And guess what? Everybody's doing and thinking lots of weird stuff. Yep. So clearly this is the issue. And this is a big issue, but it is drastically important. And as like as Willard would say, um, the implications of the statement that that's the case are simply staggering. Um, yeah, well, it does nothing to change. Like, again, it's like trying to tie peaches onto an apple tree and call it an apple tree. 100%. It doesn't change the contents of the heart. Nope. It doesn't change the character of the person. Nope. And you, you then 
have to try to make Jesus into somebody he isn't and his teachings into something they aren't and Christianity into something it was never meant to be. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you create a different gospel, a gospel of sin management, and thus you find what you find today. And the holier the harder we think, and we could hardly be more wrong. Yeah. Because that's not freedom. So what's the aim of the sermon? The aim of the sermon, sermon forcefully Sorry. indicated by its concluding verses, is to help people come to hopeful and realistic terms with their lives here on the earth by clarifying in concrete terms the nature of the kingdom into which they are now invited by Jesus' call. Which is what? Repent. For the life in the kingdom of the heavens is now one of your options. The separate parts of the discourse are to be interpreted in the light of this single purpose. They are not to be read as one disconnected statement after another. One must discern the overall plan of life with which the separate parts of the discourse make sense. So, he wants to help people come to hopeful and realistic terms with their lives here on the earth by clarifying in concrete terms the nature of the kingdom into which they are now invited by Jesus' call. That's what he is doing. He is giving... He is giving a lecture on the reality of the kingdom of God and how people can come to terms with that call into that kingdom and how their daily life on the earth can begin to participate in the reality of that call. Mm. That is what he is teaching. Yes. And every single bit of what he's teaching should, should be understood in light of that. And that's what Willard's trying to say. Um, he's not trying to crush us or show us we can't make it on our own. Nobody is under the illusion that they can. Yep. So his teachings illustrate how those alive in the kingdom can live through the days and hours of their ordinary existence on their way to the full world of God. Mm -hmm. Is a great way to say it. Yeah. Um, and I think we could probably just talk about in this segment and finish up the fact that Willard goes on to just say, man, could, you, could everybody just understand the brilliance of Jesus here? You just want just to lift him up a little bit higher. Because most people, that's the problem. It's a really, really big problem. Yep. Like where you automatically go in your mind for for the best information on how to live if you don't go to jesus first you've misunderstood all of it man yeah you just have on every part of daily life if you don't go to if he's not the first one you think of mm -hmm. when you think about where to go automatically for the best information on how to live you've got it you've got it backwards yep the brilliance of Jesus is worth just soaking in. So true. Because um, he's teaching us about how life works. That's what he's doing. And um, we treat him as nice but not very intelligent. <laughs> this misunderstanding is the death knell of discipleship for it locates him outside the company of those who have knowledge and therefore deprives us of the practical power of his teachings. And, um, yeah, if you play a game of word association today in almost any setting, you will collect some familiar names around words such as smart, knowledgeable, intelligent, and so forth. 
Einstein, Bill Gates of Microsoft, and the obligatory rocket scientists will stand out. But one person who pretty certainly will not come up in this con connection is Jesus, man. So and that's, that's a problem. It's a problem if you're saying you're, you're a disciple of his. Yep. If he doesn't come up there, maybe you're a disciple of the person who you did mean. Mm-hmm. 100%. You should come to terms with that. Yep. Here's a profoundly significant fact. In our culture, among Christians and non-Christians alike, Jesus Christ is automatically disassociated from brilliance or intellectual capacity. Not one in a thousand will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with words such as well-informed, brilliant, or smart. Mm -hmm. Far too often, he, was, he is regarded as hardly conscious. He is looked on as a mere icon, a wraith-like semblance of a man, fit for the role of sacrificial lamb or alienated social critic, perhaps, but little more. So true. Hey, he's far away, you know, hands off, well, cheerleader. And you know, I... Managing I, sin I would far, think, far away. Yeah, well, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put myself in, like, young Terrell, you know, and, like... I think I would have. I think I would have not gone to smart because I would have gone to like. Well, but he was like, but he was God, you know. And the legitimate issue with that is that yes, but also, one hundred percent a man, you know. And so the sheer fact that like you know we didn't grow up hearing like the guy in the pulpit being like stopping every other sentence, be like, dude, this guy is a freaking genius. Well, he's quite frankly weird, you know. Jesus is teaching you how it all works. Yes, he's the master of molecules. He's the master of moral understanding. Yeah. He's the most brilliant teacher of, of all of it. It's yeah. his stuff. He made it. Yep. And, and if you read anything from Paul, you won't find anything different. No. He holds all things together. Like he's literally the maker of everything we see and don't see. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't think of him that way, that's a problem. Yep. And you're going to take his teachings as, uh, you know, profound but vaguely radical irrelevancies. Mm. <laughs> Would you be able, and this is such a good question, and this is where we could probably end the podcast. You know, we're not even like four pages into this thing. <laughs> no. But here's, ask yourself this question. Would you be able to trust your life to such a person? Nope. If this is how Jesus seems to you, are you going to be inclined to become his student? Of course not. We all know that action must be based on knowledge, and we grant the right to lead and teach only to those we believe to know what is real and what is best. Mm. The world has succeeded in opposing intelligence to goodness. God, that is so true. What a killer statement, dude. Say that again. The world has succeeded in opposing intelligence to goodness. In other words, you have to be really dumb in order to qualify for saintliness. Stupid to the point of sanctity. I mean, <sighs> centuries ago, even when Dante assigned the title Master of Those Who Know, he mistakenly gave it to Aristotle, not Jesus. And why? Because Jesus is holy. And see, that's you just described that. Mm -hmm. Young Terrell yep. would have thought of him as God in some, like, separate yep. way. You can't actually hold him accountable to the same sort of way that we are held accountable due to that fact. Yeah. Devotion to God is independent of human knowledge. That is what the world has succeeded in saying. The modern secular outlook rigorous, rigorously opposes sanctity to intelligence. 
And today, any attempt to combine spirituality or moral purity with great intelligence causes widespread pangs of cognitive dissonance. Mother Teresa, no more than Jesus, is thought of as a smart. No more than Jesus is thought of as smart. She's nice, of course, but not really smart. Smart means good at managing life as life really is. And none of us think that, man. The world's robbed us of that. Definitely the nonprofit organization forming as a church never taught us to think of Jesus as being the one who has the best information for life yeah. at all. Nope. You go to other people for that. For all the vast influence he has exercised on human history, we have to say that Jesus is usually seen as a frankly pathetic individual who lived and still lives on the margins of real life. What lies at the heart of the astonishing disregard of Jesus found in the moment-to-moment -moment existence of multitudes of professing Christians is a simple lack of respect for him. He is not seriously considered or presented as a person of great ability. What then can, be devotion, what then can devotion or worship mean if simple respect is not included in it? Mm. <laughs> not much. Oh, man. Yeah, I think we end it there, man. Just, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? What do you think about when you think about God? It's important stuff. Yep. Because if you don't consider him and respect him and worship him for who he really is, then, I mean, a lot of what he says is going to mean very little to you. Yeah, very, very you're little definitely not going to apply life. Or participate in the reality that he is teaching you about. 100%. Instead, you're going to try to participate in the reality that the ones who you do think of when you think of intelligent, smart, capable, able, the ones you do respect, you're going to participate in the reality they're painting for you. Yeah. And thus you find the S show of a world we live in today. Mm -hmm. Everybody's participating in, and we're worshiping. Oh, man, people and things and ideas that just uh, are going to end in a dumpster fire. And yep. there you go. There you go. There's the explanation. We're going to move on and talk about how what Jesus taught about the heart and how to change and how to be a different person, how to get beyond projects and actions uh, in hypocrisy, acting like you're a good person and instead actually be a good person. It's a big difference. Yep. That's where we'll end it today. Yeah. Sound good, buddy? Sounds good.